Good morning. Glad you're here. And um, anybody else have a harder time getting out of bed this this morning? What it was, but whoo, tired. Feel it. You know, it's. Uh, and I thought this would kind of happen. I watched the big crowd. You know, a couple weeks ago, it gets a little smaller, a little smaller. We'll have a remnant by the time we're done. You know what I'm saying? But you'll be a part of that remnant. It'll be, it'll be good. Systematic theology is uh, it's awesome. And no, it's not awesome. It's wonderful. It's great, you know. Who is awesome? God is awesome. I tell you, when you read his attributes and study the attributes of God, as uh, you have been doing, you've been studying, uh, you're looking over your book. We're in chapter uh, 2. Today we're supposed to look at chapter 3, the Trinity. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're not even going to make chapter 3. I, I, I know we're, we're not. But we will next week. Uh, but we will look more at the um, incommunicable and communicable attributes uh, of God. Those attributes that is, are alone his, and then those attributes that he shares with us, his highest creation. Uh, th this ought to encourage you this morning. You know, God created everything, and he especially created us because he has a great purpose for our lives. And I think part of that purpose is knowing him and making him known. And, and again, I hope that... We will, it'll be an affair of the head, and it'll be an affair of the heart, and also an affair of the hands. So what we learn, we put it to our hearts, and then God uses us to, to, uh, to help people. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for everybody that, that's here. I'm, I'm like you. This is just something that um, I wanted to do. I wanted to study more and wanted to teach more. And um, somebody asked a question the other day. They said, if you stay 15 years in your church, what do you want people to know about you? What do you want people to remember about you and what you did in your church? And then it said, and what do you want to learn from the people that God allowed you to lead and to share for those years? And uh, I know I'll learn many things from you, but I hope one of the things you learn from me is a, is a deep love for the Word of God and to study that Word and then to actuate that Word. So it is an affair of the head as well as the heart and the hands. Right, and one more thing before I get started. By the way, good morning to you there online. Bless you. I know many of you are... With us, I understand somebody's in Port Arthur uh, at a Starbucks. Larry Dowden, Deacon Larry, God bless you. Pulled over Starbucks so he could watch this morning. So you won't have to take the pop quiz next week, Larry. You're, for that, that's great. But I will give y'all a test uh, next week just to see how well you've been listening and learning. Just kidding. Always gets quiet when you talk about tests, you know. It's all good. It's all free. Everything's free, but I do want us either today or next week to pitch in a few dollars and help us with our coffee cost. How about that? If we'll do that, 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 that would be good. And, um, but I'm so blessed to be able to do this, and I'm blessed to see so many young people in here. Um, and I, you know, I was thinking about, we got some teenagers over here. Sarah is a senior in high school. She brought her friend. And I mean, teenagers in here. Some of you are going, man, when I was a teenager. I wouldn't be getting up to old dark 30 going to study theology, but she's here, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for everybody in here. Okay, so let's go to your uh, chapter 2 in your book, The Christian Beliefs. You'll notice there are about 20 attributes of God that we're going to look at this morning. And what a blessing it is to study uh, the attributes of God. Uh, we looked last time at the incommunicable as well as the communicable attributes I'll pick up where we left off last time under independence. A, it's the specific incommunicable attributes of God. God is independent, doesn't need anything or anyone uh, because he is aseity. That's a new word for you. Aseity means from himself. He is absolutely independent. Acts 17.25, Paul says in Athens, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need anything. 
since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Uh, God has always existed in fellowship from all eternity, independent, and yet he is in fellowship if, because he's a triune one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 17, 5 speaks of the glory that Jesus had with the Father. Listen to this. Before the world began. And we closed last week with this passage in Scripture in Zephaniah 3, 17, because I just want us to keep in mind that even though God is awesome, God is great, God is transcendent, God is other, yet He loves us. I mean, He created us. He smiles upon us. And what does that Zephaniah passage say? Any musicians in here, what does He do? God sings over us. Come on now. Almighty God sings blessings over us, his highest creation. Amazing. Okay, let me let you listen to this quote. I don't do this a lot. I don't do a whole lot of excerpts from the big book, but I've got one for you today because it just, it really encapsulates these attributes of God and, and how it relates to us. Get this. Man, you do this a couple times. You don't even have to work out in the morning. You know what I'm saying? You just do this a few times and it's, uh, it's all good. You can turn it around and get shoulders like this. You can do it like this and get triceps. Or you can just do biceps like this. Just never know what you're going to learn when you come early. All right, here it is. Y'all ready for this? A great, great quote. It's on page 162 in the big book. The difference between God's being and ours is more than the difference between the sun and a candle. More than the difference between the ocean and a raindrop. More than the difference between the Arctic ice cap and a snowflake. More than the difference between the universe and the very room we are sitting in. God's being is qualitatively different. All else passes away in an instant, but He necessarily exists forever. Woo. He said, well, that makes me feel small. No, it should make you feel, I understand how big God is, how awesome God is. And that's why we study his attributes. So we're going to number two now is God's unchangeableness. God is, and, and the technical word, the theological word is his immutability. His immutability, that God is changeless. Now this is a debated attribute of God. Imagine that. Um, some see it maybe a little bit differently, but I agree with Grudem. I think he does a fine job in, in just showing the balance. And this statement's very important. He says, God is unchangeable in his being, his perfections, his purposes, and his promises. God's being is unchangeable in, in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. However, he does feel emotion and he does act. So I'm okay with that. Now keep that thought in mind, okay? Because the debate can go one way or the other. We're talking about God's immutability. You know, God, he doesn't change, yet he changes his mind in the Bible, you know. Uh, God was sorry that he made man, you know. But I agree, not changes his mind. He, I agree with Brutum. He, in his being, in his essence, in his nature, he does not change, but... He acts and he feels emotion. So let me give you some scriptures about this. Verse 27 of Psalm 105 says, You are the same and your years will have no end. James 1.17, uh, we get the hymn, Great is thy... There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Okay? Thou changest not because in his essence, in his being. Okay? Uh, one writer put it this way. Uh, he said... For only he is pure being and no becoming. 
God is the rock. Okay, keep that in mind. But God does react to situations that, that arise. God said he would destroy Nineveh if they continued in their wickedness. Genesis 6, 6 says God was sorry that he made man because of man's sinfulness. And you say, well, God changed then. No, it, he, he feels emotion, right? He feels emotion. He sees us and, and he, he's, an, he's a being. He's a, he's a spiritual being. But in his essence, he does not change. It says in 1 Samuel 15 that God had displeasure and he was actually sorry. He felt sorry for us, and especially in this context of Saul. But let me, let me read it one more time. God is unchangeable in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises, and yet he does feel emotion, and, um, and he acts differently according to the different situations that, that arise. Okay? So that's pretty deep for 7 o'clock or whatever time it is. It is. All right, number three is God is eternal. He has no beginning, no ending. He sees all time uh, equally. God acts in real time. Listen to this. God never learns anything and God never forgets anything. Can you wrap your mind around that for a moment? God, he is eternal. He, and I know we should talk a little bit about his omniscience, but he never learns anything. He doesn't have to learn. He doesn't have to read anything because he, he just is and, and he knows. God created time, yet he is outside of time. There was no time until God created time. That's hard to get our minds around, but that's, that's true. God created time because he's outside of time, and yet he acts in time for our benefit. Revelation 1.8, look at this on the screen. Jesus said, or actually this is a reference to the Father. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Y'all know what Alpha and Omega is, don't you? That's the first Greek uh, alphabet, the, the letter, and the last one is Omega. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I think it keeps going. Roll it one more time, or maybe you are rolling it. There it is. Who was, who is, who was, and who is to come. What is that? Past, present, future. God, he is. In, in Exodus 3.14, it says, God is the eternal I am. Listen, well, listen to this, y'all. He has a continual present existence. Wrap your mind around that for a moment. God is a continual present existence, okay? But yet he acts in time because we are limited by time. Galatians 4.4 4 says, In the fullness of time God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. God has no succession of moments in his being, but we do. We have succession of moments in, in, in our being because we are time creatures. Gruden says this. I think this is interesting. I'm still trying to figure this one out. We as finite creatures will always experience time even in eternity, though God will not because he just is. Y'all, God's just awesome. He's just, he's transcendent. He is just, he is just other. And we are, we are limited. You said, I thought these were the communicable uh, attributes of God. God is Eternal, I'll never be eternal. That's true. You have not always existed, but you are existing, and you always will exist. So this is a communicable attribute of God that he shares with us. How about his omnipresence? Come on. What does that mean? Anybody give me, give me a, a, a definition of omnipresence. What does that mean? Omni-all-present. God is all-present. Now, think about this. Psalm 139, 7 through 10 talks about 
how God is everywhere in every point of space. He is not limited by space because he created space. Okay? He is just, he's everywhere. Uh, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? David asked. Well, if I go into heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall, shall hold me. Grudem says, before God created the universe, there was no matter or material, so there was no space either, yet God still existed. Mm. Now, when you say God is omnipresent, don't get the pantheistic idea that God is in everything. He's not in everything, yet he is everywhere at all times. Do, do you get that? Pantheism believes that we ought to worship everything because God is in those chairs, or he is in us, he is in this building, he is in the trees because he created it. I totally disagree with that. You get into animism, you get into worshiping objects, inanimate objects, when you, when you push this to a place that the Bible never pushes it. God is separate, and yet he is, he's everywhere. God is in, present in hell, what does that mean? Psalm 139.8, he is present in places like hell to punish. Most of the time, though, the presence of God in Scripture is in the context of God's presence to bless. I want you to think about that because Isaiah 59 speaks about God not being present. Your sins separate you from God. But you, you just said God is everywhere. How could God separate himself from me if he is everywhere? And Grudem's helpful here. He says, think it have been the terms of God is not present to bless in those situations, yet he is all time, everywhere uh, present. All right, number five, God is unity. God is unity. He is not divided in parts, but he is one unified being. God is light, love, holy. It's not part of God. That is God. He, he is a unified being. And his attributes that we're studying today remind me of his names. Y'all remember we preached on like 16, 17, or 20, I think it is, names, Hebrew names of God. And each one of those names highlighted or accentuated a particular aspect of his being. Okay, let me give you an example. Jehovah Jireh, he is the God who provides. But he's still Jehovah Shalom, he is still Yahweh, he is still, and it's not multiple deities floating around. He is one, and yet in his one name would manifest a particular attribute just like this. One of these attributes magnify a specific aspect of God's being, yet God is still one. God is, he is unity. Okay? This is very, very helpful. And you say, well, I don't get that, Brother Dan. Why is that so helpful? Well, here's why it's helpful. Because when we, we know theology, we know really who God is, when somebody begins to teach us something that is contrary to God's nature, we detect it and we'll say, that's, that's not right. For example, in AD 90, by the way, whenever you use numbers, you always use AD first, AD 90. If you're talking about um, 300 uh, BC, you would always put the BC after the number. I know this is a real technical thing. This is, this is the actually correct way to do it. So if you do the number, if you're referring to after the death of Christ, it always goes before. And if you're referring to before Christ, it always goes after the number. Okay, That was free. I'm just telling you. That is, that is free. 
That is one of those little factoids you can put in your mind, and grammatically, that's always the right way to, to do it. So on your test, when I ask you a number, you got to put the AD before the number. All right, unity. Marcion in AD 90 said that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Come on now. Why is that heresy? He's the same God. And he said, well, the God of the Old Testament is just mean. He's a God of wrath and he's obliterating people. But man, I like that God in the New Testament. That Jesus God. I, I like the Father of Jesus a whole lot more than I like that God in the Old Testament. And Marcion taught this in AD 90. And the church said, you're a heretic. Because we're not talking about two separate uh, beings. We're talking about one God. Woo, listen to this. Who's fully holy and he is completely love all at the same time. Oh, son. Fully love, fully holiness, uh, holiness in, his, in his one being. And Grudem says he is the same God always, and everything he says or everything he does is fully consistent with all of his attributes. Man, that's the communicable, now, I mean incommunicable. Now let's look at these specific communicable attributes of God. Those that he communicates or has more in common with, shares with us as human beings, okay? Number one is spirit, and that's a good place to start. God is spirit, John 4, 24. And we are spiritual in nature. Okay, So that would be a communicable attribute of God. God is spirit, okay, eternal, awesome spirit he is. And we are not just body and flesh. We also have a spirit, and so that's communicated to us. Number two, God is invisible. You say, I'm not invisible. I, I get that, but hold on. God is invisible. His spiritual being we do not see because God is invisible. What about the theophanies in the Old Testament where God had a manifestation or he revealed himself? Can you think of any theophanies uh, in the Old Testament um, where, where God revealed himself to like Abraham or revealed himself to Isaac or how about Isaiah? Anything pop in your mind when you think about a theophany or a revelation of God? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. But God's invisible. So what does that mean? He had, a, he had a, a, a epiphany or a theophany of God, a vision of God. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And so God speaks to us, he reveals us, us in ways that we can see him, yet he is invisible because John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. And yet John 14.9, Jesus said, When you see me, you see the Father. Woo! Huh? When you see Jesus, that's what the Father looks like. Because, listen to this. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. And Hebrews 1.3 says he is the exact representation of his nature. Think about this when we go to heaven. Now this I'm going to play with your mind a little bit because this is, this is fun. My mind is all messed up. Okay, this, My mind is all, you know, it's fun. How are we going to see God in heaven? If God is spirit... How are we going to see God, the Holy Spirit, in heaven? Jesus, we will see. There's no doubt. I mean, we, we will actually be like him with that resurrected body. And here's, here's the theologian's response to this. I love this. We will see Jesus. 
But it is unclear how we will see the Father and the Holy Spirit. We will not understand this until we get to heaven. Ooh, I like that. I appreciate that, Dr. Grudem. Thanks for explaining that to us. But that's good. That's mystery. All right? We, we don't know. I used to tell my, my mom used to tell me, I used to have these theological discussions with her and, 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 and deep discussions with her and ask her these hard questions and, about heaven and what will heaven be like and what's going to be there and what, what does God look like. And finally she said, let me just tell you something, Dan. That, that's what she called me, Dan. She said, let, me, let me tell you something, Dan. When you get to heaven, you're just going to be so thrilled, it's not going to matter. <laughs> it's just not going to matter because you will see him as he is and you will forever be in his uh, presence. Hallelujah. All right, so God is um, omniscient. Omniscient, number three. God is all-knowing. We, we know, don't we? But we're, we're not all-knowing. This is a communicable attribute because we have the capacity to know. This, this stand has no capacity to know. Okay? This inanimate object, it just can't know. But we can know. God is all-knowing. First John 3, 20 says, God knows all things. Psalm 139 in verse uh, 4 says, God knows what we're going to say even before we say it. Now that's knowledge, is it not? In verse 6, such knowledge, David said, is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God is fully aware of everything and knows all things. Never learns anything, never forgets everything. He just knows everything. Oh, listen to this. He even knows what will happen or what could have happened if certain things had occurred. He knows every hypothetical situation. He knows everything, past, present, future, he is. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're going to think when somebody says something to you or later on in the office. God just knows, he just knows everything. I have a good friend of mine, he's a pastor, he puts it like this, God's just smarter than us. I like that. God's just smarter than us. And that's good for us to keep that in mind. Number, number four, he is wise. God is wise. I couldn't wait to talk to you about this at 7.07 this morning. God is wise. Romans 16.27 says God is the only wise God. In God's wisdom, what does that mean? It means he always chooses what is best. Okay? God, he never chooses what is inferior because his, he is, his wisdom. In his wisdom, God created the world and in his wisdom... God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. In His wisdom, the Bible talks about the mystery of the church, how all believers from all races, from all ethnic, from all background, all believers come together. And in Ephesians 3.10, this says, talking about the church, is the manifold wisdom of God. Romans 11.33, I love this. I think we're actually going to put this one on the screen. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Romans eleven thirty three. I think of Romans 8, 28, 29 when I read this quote from Grudem when he said, It should be our great confidence and our source of peace day by day to know that God causes all things to move toward the ultimate goal He has for our lives. Namely, that we might be like Christ and thereby bring glory to Him. God is all wise, all wisdom. We also can be wise. We can mature and grow in wisdom. I think of a couple of verses, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks 
Anybody? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and does not uh, withhold it. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. There are times we will not understand. There are things that we will not know this side of, of glory, but we can trust that God knows Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not, somebody help me, on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths. Somebody needed to hear this this morning. because this was, this was hard and heavy. I wrote this lecture July the 10th. But going over and over, just kind of like it's a, you know, getting it fresh on my mind, I, I had to write in the margins, somebody here may be questioning the wisdom or the goodness of God because of your difficult circumstances. But I just got to tell you, God's, he's still wise and he's still good even if life stinks. Even if we're having a hard time or if we're having a good time, whether we're healthy or, or whether we're sick, God's still good and God is still wise. In fact, there's a song, there's a new song out. Uh, Claudia, my song friend, Claudia and I have this song connection. She thinks of a good song, she sends a text to me. I think of a good song. I got one for you, sister. Here it is. If I could sing at 7 o'clock, y'all would get it. Y'all would, I'll sound like a, a turkey up here right now or a frog croaking. But let, let me give this to you. The song is, He is with us. And the name of the group is Love and the Outcome. That's the name of the group. What's the name of your group, Love and the Outcome? Okay. It's a husband and a wife team. Listen to this line. We can trust our God. He knows what He's doing. Though it might hurt now, we won't be ruined. Isn't that a good line? We can trust our God. He knows what he's doing. It, it, it might hurt now, but we're not going to be ruined because God is good. God is wise. God is just. God is awesome. God loves us. God directs us. And we can, we can trust him. I don't know who that was for, but somebody in the house needed it because I felt the Spirit of God deeply impressing me to remind you, please don't question the goodness or the wisdom of God. Ooh, this is a good word. Don't question in the dark what God revealed to you in the light, okay? Really? He is that good. He is that wise. Okay, number five, God is truthful. God is truthful, and he is the final standard of truth. Jeremiah 10, 10 says, the Lord is the true God. You ever thought about it like this? God cannot lie, and he will always fulfill his promises. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, um, Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is true. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. Okay? God is truthful. He will never lead you astray. Um, he may lead you somewhere and all Hades breaks loose. Okay? Or He may lead you to do something and it gets horrible before it gets better. But that does not mean God misled you. It just means God loves you so much He led you to go there so that He can conform you more to the image of His Son. You say, I don't know if I like that or not, really. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know if I like the way God does that to me sometimes. Like he's, he, no, no, no. God, God just knows more. than God's smarter than us. And his ways, and that's why Paul said his ways are just unsearched, unpassed, finding out. He's truthful. <laughs> oh, listen to this. Number six, God is good. God is good all the time, and all the time what? God is good. Luke 18, 19, Jesus said God alone is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. All right? 
When God created the, the world in, in Genesis 1.31, this time he didn't say it was just good. He said, what? It is. He said, this is very good. And it's very good because God created because he's a good God. Uh, he, is, he is good in the most sublime meaning of the word. Listen to this psalm here. Psalm 84.11. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is good. How about God is love? Can we talk a minute about the love of God? Grudem defines love this way. God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. That's a good definition of love, by the way. Love means uh, to give. 1 John 4, 8 says, Even before creation, God was loving. Because God is love. It says God is love. The Greek word, do you know this, is agape, which means the self-sacrificing love, the giving love. In Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his agape for us. John 3, 16, same word. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In Matthew 22, 37 and 38, they said, Jesus, you know, what, is, what are the greatest commandments? And, and Jesus said, here they are. Listen to me carefully. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think we're most like God when we love and when we are sacrificing and we are giving ourselves. To, would y'all not agree with that? I mean, really, don't, do you ever feel more blessed and satisfied than when you are loving somebody and helping somebody and, and giving your, yourself away? I, I don't think so. I, I think that is the epitome of living. I, I think to be able to sacrifice and to be able to go, go beyond ourselves and help somebody else, I think that's when we're most like God. Because God so loved us that he created us and he sent his son for us. Number eight, let me give you this triumvirate, this trilogy of great words here. Mercy, grace, and patience. These are attributes of God. And they're all kind of related because when God preached a sermon on his name, did y'all know that? God actually preached a sermon on his name in Exodus 34. And in verse 6, I think we have it on the screen. Notice the way these three words are combined in the, in the one sentence to describe God's nature. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Now God's going to pass before Moses and say, Moses, this is who I am. I am Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim. Merciful and gracious. Okay? Roll it one more and you'll see the third part of it. Long-suffering. Merciful, gracious, mercy, grace, patience. Got it? And he abounds, abounding in goodness and in truth. You know, in mercy, Grudem says, is God's goodness to those in misery. God's grace is his goodness to those who only deserve punishment. And God's patience is God's goodness in withholding that punishment. He is awesome. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is kind. He is patient. He is awesome, and I love him, and so do you, and he is worthy. Man, he is worthy of us getting up early and just focusing on him. I don't know what this does for y'all. I'm telling you, when I finished studying this, I was, I was about good for nothing. I, I was about so heavenly minded, I was no earthly good. I was so in, in rapture with God and just who he is and trying to wrap my finite little mortal mind around how incredible he is. I just walked away going, God, that just makes me love you. Ooh, listen, to know him. When you know him more, 
you just love him more. All right, peace. God is peace. And this one's not in your books, but it is in the big book. All right, it's in the... Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mercy, grace, and peace is eight. Number nine, it's holy. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We got to talk about God's holiness. Then number ten, we'll talk about his peace, all right? God's holiness refers to his separation from sin. Anything defiled, anything unholy, anything sinful is not part of God's nature. Leviticus 19.2 says, For I, the Lord your God, am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, you be holy, because the Lord your God is holy. When you think of holiness, think of God's, God being separated from anything that is sinful or defiled. Ephesians 5.27, that's our theme verse here as a radiant church, so that we will have no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and without blemish. I tell you, if there is a doctrine that's being neglected in the church today, it's the holiness of God. We don't like to talk about holiness. Because when we start talking about God's holiness, we start thinking about our unholiness. And so instead of talking about it, we just soon not deal with it because we're unholy and we know that we're not all that God wants us to be. Well, we can do one of two things with that. We can at Great Hills, we can say, yeah, that's true, and that's the way most people look at it. And so let's just keep compromising and living kind of like we want to live. Because if we talk about God's holiness, then we start talking about that God has expectations on us to, to be holy. I love talking about the holiness of God. It's not because I'm ultra, uber holy. It's just because I know that's, that's part of who he is. Think about this. What if God was not holy? What if God was unholy? And what if God was sinful? Can you imagine the chaos? Can you imagine this world if God was not perfect in his, in his holiness? Mm. Number 10, God is peace. Now, this one's not mentioned in your book, as I said earlier, but it's part of the big, the big book. It's not mentioned in this book, if you're looking for it, but it is mentioned in the big boy, the big one. If I showed y'all what you can do with this book, you can do curls with it, you can do triceps, and you can do flies with it. You can just work out with this thing. God is peace. Amen. He is shalom. Jehovah shalom, the Lord is peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of confusion, but God is a God of peace. To say God is a God of peace means there's, listen to this, there's no disorder, there's no confusion in his being. He's not passive, but he's very active in our ordered and controlled activity. God is peace. And if God is peace, then I, as his child, should be peaceful. You know? I should be enjoying and practicing the presence and the peace of God. And if I'm not, that means that something's wrong. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You will keep him in perfect... Somebody help me. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in Yah. Trust in the Lord. For he is the everlasting rock. The peace of God that passes all understanding. You know, I made a reference this past week to, you know, struggling, dealing with d depression. And I know that bothers people. Like, Pastor, you don't have problems. You don't have problems? You're just a perfect little human being up there, okay? Because if you got problems, then, man, that means I got problems. I'm not perfect. I'm telling you. Ask the people that know me well. They'll say, he is not perfect. Uh, he wants to be. He wants to strive. And when I, when I deal with stuff like that and, and I get weighted down... And, and, and I, start to, I start to worry and I start to fret. Listen to this. When, when I do that and when you do that, we are not enjoying the peace of God. So somebody gave me a verse. They wrote, 
I got an email this week. I mean, email. It was an awesome email. And the email said, can I share something with you? Isaiah 50, 10. says, who among the servants of God is walking in darkness? Who, who among us basically is not at peace? Let him rely on the Lord his God. Let him trust in the Lord his God. Listen, it may be 720 this morning. You're not having peace. Or you maybe have a divided mind. Or you might be worried about something. I mean, can I just go on record and say that is not God's will for you. That is not God's will for me. God wants us to be in reality and say, yes, life is hard, and yes, I'm having a hard time here with this, my marriage, or my finances, or with my kids, or with my job, whatever it is. But isn't it amazing that even in the midst of that, we can still have peace? And that's what God is showing me. He's showing me, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and you keep your mind on me, and you will have peace. Sorry if I'm preachy this morning, but man. I needed to hear. Number 11 is righteous and just. God is righteous and God is just. He always acts in accordance with what is right. He is the final standard of what is right. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. Listen, think about this for a moment. Deuteronomy 32.4. For all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is End of quote. Isn't that a great verse? Deuteronomy 32.4. God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. And him being that way means that he will have to punish sin or that which is unrighteous. And he does. Uh, he will punish sin. And we will either do one of two things. We will bear the punishment of our sin both now and for eternity. Or somebody will bear it for us. And if Jesus bears the wrath of God for us and the punishment of God for us and the justice of God for us, that means we don't have to bear it and we can live in freedom and then when we die, we get to go to heaven. Woo, son. That is Christianity at its finest. That is the only religion that offers this propitiation. That God would send His Son to crucify Him so that he would bear the righteousness, the holiness, the justice of God. He would bear the wrath of God on our behalf. Isn't God amazing? He's so righteous and just and holy, and we're not, that he goes to this great lengths because he loves us and he wants us uh, to be in, be in fellowship with him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Micah 6.8 what, is, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? You know, I think about Job, and I think about him questioning the righteousness of God, questioning the, the justice and the goodness of God. And you got to think about Job. He hadn't done anything wrong. He did everything right and got in a world of trouble. He was not familiar with the holy council going on in the heavenlies, okay? And so Job, he, remember this? He, he says, all right, God. I got some questions for you. Why is this? Why is that? And I, I know y'all have seen this, but I want to point this out to you. He's questioning God, and God did not so much give him answers as God gave him statements about his majesty. God tells Job, he says, Job, uh, who created the new dawn and all the morning? Job 38, 12. God sends forth his lightning, and they report to him for duty. Who did that, Job? 
Who created the dawn? Who created the lightning? He says, who created the horse and gave him his might and caused the hawk to soar in the air? And after God told him all of these things, Job says, you know what, I, I just better be quiet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. You're right. You are God. You are just. You are righteous, pure and holy. You do nothing that is unholy. And as I said a moment ago, we're, we're kind of like that. And we cannot question in the dark what God revealed to us very clearly uh, in the light. Okay? Number 12, God is jealous. I think somebody asked me about this the other day. We're going to talk about the jealousy of God. And we are because Exodus 20, verse 5 says, Our God is a jealous God. Now, when you think of jealousy, don't think of it in the negative connotation. You know, like jealousy. Hmm, I wish what I had what she had. Hmm, I wish I drove the car that he did. I'm jealous of that. I'm envy of that. And I'm the green monster on that. No, it's not, that's not jealousy in, in its pure sense. Jealousy means... God seeks his own honor, and Isaiah 48, 11 says he doesn't share that glory or that honor with anybody else. And as I said sometime, a little bit last week, sometimes people, humans, we have a hard time with this, that God seeks his own honor, he is, he is jealous for his name, okay? But, but, and Grudem helped me a lot with this, he said, but that's, that's good, because for God to be Jealous and zealous for his name means there's nothing higher or better that he could be jealous or zealous for. Does that make sense? And so it should just make sense that God is zealous and jealous for, for himself. And then he says this, and I like this. When we grasp this concept that it is right for God to honor himself, then we will realize what it means to find the true secret of worship, of what worship really consists of. Hey, listen to this. God is jealous of his name. He's jealous of you. Now, stay with me. He's jealous of you in the sense that he don't want nobody messing with you. Okay? He, he, he is a jealous, all-consuming fire God. And he doesn't want people messing with you. And listen to this. He don't want you worshiping anybody else. You know, he's, he's jealous in that, in that powerful, positive uh, sense, okay? And we can be, too, in the positive sense of being jealous. Not seeking our own worship, but seeking God's worship and seeking the good for, for each other. All right, wrath. Let's talk about the wrath of God. Oh, goodness, Brother Dan, we're going to talk about God's wrath at 730? Yes, we are. Because the wrath of God is mentioned frequently in the Bible. In the Old Testament, Exodus 32, 9 and 10, says, My wrath burns hot against them. But Marcion, Marcion, who lived in, is it 90 A.D. or A.D. 90? A.D. 90. Okay, he lived in A.D. 90, said, Oh, no, no, no. The God in the New Testament, he's not wrathful. He is Jesus, and he is sweet syrupy, sweet, and kind. But Marcion didn't read the whole Bible because in John 3.36, listen to this. Woo, look at this. John 3, we all know John 3, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life and he who does, does not believe the Son shall not see life. Watch this. And the wrath of God abides on him. Listen, he's the same God. God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament is this God. He's a God of of wrath. If he were not wrathful towards sin, or he, that means he would either delight in it or not be troubled by it. You ever thought of that? 
If God did not have wrath, that means he wouldn't be troubled with sin or, or he, he delighted in it. What kind of world would we have? It would be totally wicked and chaotic. This is a communicable attribute. That means we can have wrath. We can burn hot against that which is dishonest or unjust or when somebody walks into a mall or about 20 people walk into a mall and I watched this on TV last night. Just, I, just, I mean, guys, I, this is just, this is just bothering me. These, these things, they're just, they're just deeply irritating my soul. When, when these guys go up on the third floor and they enter this way in Kenya in the mall, I think I've actually been in this same mall, and they came in this way so that nobody could escape, that they were going to try to kill every single person on every floor of that mall. And, and, and they would say, listen, speak Arabic. Can you speak Arabic? And you're like, I, I can't speak Arabic. Boom! They would kill you. Because if you're a Muslim, you can speak Arabic. One lady was hiding in, the, in a closet. She was texting her family. And she said, wait a minute. I hear, I hear noise. I hear voices. They're asking questions. Pause. Boom! Wait a minute. They're asking another question. There's a pause. Boom. And she goes, they're killing. They're asking them questions and they're killing them. The brother of this girl texted her a Muslim prayer. It says, memorize this prayer. If you memorize this prayer when they question you, you can tell them you're a Muslim and you can give proof by it with this, with this prayer. Does that bother y'all? That, that infuriates me. That is, uh, that, 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 and that should bother us. Because that is, so, that is so ungodly and unholy. And I believe that God's the real God's wrath will burn hotly on this issue as well. That God will, God will judge. When we feel this wrath, when we feel this holy being upset, I think that is a good thing. In fact, I would be very concerned for us if we didn't feel this. All right, number 14 is God's will. Mm, God's will. In fact, I got a lot of notes here on God's will. God's will is what he approves and determines to happen, what is necessary. God's will is what is necessary for the existence and activity of himself and all things. Ephesians 1.11 says, God accomplishes, quote, all things according to the counsel of his will, end of quote. So God, he has a will. Some things, though painful, are difficult, but things still are the will of God. It was God's will, his permissive will, that Joseph would be mistreated, and taken into Egypt because 50-20 says, you know, they meant this for evil, but God means it for good, and God, God allowed that. The horrific death of his son, Jesus, God, it, it actually puts it in the context of this being God's will in Acts 4, 27 and 28. In 1 Peter 3, 17, it says it is actually God's will that we suffer. Okay? Now, some of you are getting confused going, wait a minute. How could it be God's will that these things happen. And this is where Grudem pulls up this verse. And I'm going to show you this verse. He pulls Deuteronomy 29, 29 on me a lot. Because he'll create these situations and go, does that confuse you? And I'll say, yes. He'll say, well, read this verse. You're not supposed to understand everything. Because the secret things belong to God, the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. That is why it is... Very dangerous. Now listen to me carefully on this. It is dangerous to attribute all things to God's will, even though the Bible does at times. God just knows more than we do. 
That's what made me a little nervous when Jerry Falwell said, well, that was God's will, 9-11 happened, because he's, he's killing these Americans because we're, we're a rebellious, sinful nation, and God, that's God's will. I think we've got to be very, very careful in saying that. I, I really do. And, and my super ultra hyper Calvinist says, when the guy gets hit by the car, the little child gets run over by the car, that was God's will. And God, that, that's God's will. You just need to get with it and get happy with it. And I just struggle. I don't know if anybody else struggles with that, saying, well, that was God's will. You know, that happened. I know he's all sovereign. And I know God knows everything. I know God allows things. But I also know we live in a sinful world. And Grudem, who is a Calvinist, helped me a lot with this when he said, in the Bible, human beings and sinful angels or demons are always blamed for evil, sinful actions, and God is never blamed. That's a good word. God is, you, you don't blame God. God allows things. I get that. God permits things. God even ordains things. But I am careful to say that was, that was God's will. All right, number 15, freedom. Some of y'all are going, I don't know if I agree with that. And uh, as soon as class is over, I'm going to come talk to you about that. I'm going to illuminate you on that. That's fine. Good luck because I need illumination, all right? And I uh, also need sleep. All right, number 15 is freedom. God's freedom is God doing whatever God wants to do. Don't you like that? God can do anything he wants to do because he's free to do it, and he always makes the right decision. Psalm 115 says the idols are powerless. Okay, The idols, the gods of this age are powerless. And verse 3 says our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. We may not understand, and in fact there will be times that we don't understand, but we still trust God. We still trust that God in his freedom, in his own volition, in his own decisions, they're always right. Even though he allows something, I don't understand it completely, I can still trust him because he just knows more than I do. And he's just awesome, and he's just bigger. Proverbs 20, 24 says, A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Man, I've quoted that verse many a times. I mean, I'm, I'm doing something or, or going, God's leading me down a path, and I'm like, I don't understand this, but God, I'm glad that, that you do. Let's talk about number 16, the omnipotence of God. Some of you are going, but 730, I, I want to ask questions. Let's talk about number 16, the omnipotence of God. Okay, I just got a lot I got to cover, all right? Just a lot I got to cover. This means God can do all that he wants to do. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, nothing is too hard for you. Mm. Y'all catch that? Jeremiah 32, 27. Nothing is too hard for you. In uh, Revelation 1, 8, it talks about God being the almighty God. The Greek word there is pantocrator. Pantocrator means he possesses all power and all authority. God is omnipotent. God can do... Listen. Ooh, listen. God created the world, and God raised his son from the dead, and God wrote this book. God can do anything. He's all... Power, panto crater. If I ever get a German shepherd, I'm going to name him Kratos. That's just a, that's a man's word. Let me tell you, that's a manly word, Kratos. Nothing effeminate about that. Crator, power. But I am going to tell you some things that God cannot do, all right? You just said, Brother Dan, God can do. No, there are some things God cannot do. When I was, you know, y'all know when I was, I was uh, preaching ever since I was 17 years old. And then when I, got, when I was 19, I got saved. And, and I, my sermons got a whole lot better when I, after I got saved. 
You know, you know I'm, I'm like Johnny Hunt in that sense. I may have doubted my salvation, but I've never doubted my call to preach. I just, I know that's what God's created me to do. And when I was like 19 years old, I only had like two sermons. And I'd be invited to go preach in places, and I'd just go preach places. And that's all good until they invite you to come back. And you forgot you preached that sermon. Now, here's my sugar stick. I'm going to preach to you today four things God does not know. And I noticed this congregation, when I announced that, they looked at each other kind of like, I think we've heard this before. Anyhow, here it is. Four things God does not know. God does not know a sin that he likes. God does not know a sinner he does not love. God does not know another way to get to heaven. And God does not know a better time than right now. That'll preach, won't it? Four things God doesn't know. A sin he loves, a sinner, a, a sin he loves, a sinner he doesn't love. God doesn't know another way to get to heaven except through his son. And God doesn't know a better time than right, right now. He is with us always, always. We can trust our God. He knows what he's doing. You know, that, that couple that wrote that song, they said, uh, uh, Love and the Outcome. It's a, it's a young couple, and they've traveled all over, and now they finally have this hit song. And they said, you know, eh, maybe I can close with this. I don't want to close. Really, I feel like I need to go another hour just to finish lecture two, okay? So, you know, by, by the time December comes, we should be through lecture five. I think we should be. You know, I, I think we'll make it. <laughs> But this couple, this is what they said. They said, you know, we can trust God. He knows what he's doing. My dad, or she said, his, his mom was, got deathly ill. And we were right on the verge of really breaking through with our music career. And yet, listen to this, guys. We took a year off from our career, and all we did was love on his mom. Because we felt like that was the right thing to do. And then they're the ones that God gave them the song. You can trust our God. He knows what he's doing. In my small group on Sunday nights, our, the couple, the host couple, Rich and Jenny, I can mention their names. They, they love the Lord. They're active, active at Canyon Creek Baptist Church. I live right in the shadow of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. And we come together and we, find, we have, this, uh, have this small group explore God. Well, Rich and Jenny are very cerebral, very intellectual. They both work at Concordia. They don't have a TV that bothers me for some reason. I guess something about college football, but they don't have a TV. And so every Sunday, I have to walk down the street with my TV. I feel really weird. I feel like people are watching me, you know, and I'm walking down the street with my TV and the remote control. And listen, we got some TVs, y'all. We got a bunch of TVs. We got a light. I'm carrying it. And we have our, we have our lesson Sunday night. And Jenny, so how are you doing? She says, I'm okay. Everybody ever tell you they're okay and they're not okay? She has a sister who's dying of cancer. She's got a brother that's dying of cancer. And she's got a family that won't talk to one another. And her heart is just absolutely broken. And so this week, I know I'm not their pastor, but this week, God just kept putting me on their heart. Put me on their heart. So here's what I did. I clipped that. I, I wish, Terry, I wish I had done this last night. Let you put this on the screen for us. This song, You Can Trust Our God. He knows what he's doing. It might hurt now. You're not going to be ruined. And... Uh, I hope that encourages her. In fact, Rich sent me a note back and said it did encourage us. Thank you. Here's, here's what I encouraged our staff to do in our staff meeting on Tuesday. Um, I think it was Tuesday. Mike, help me. When did we meet? It was Monday. That's what I thought. Thank you, Ross. 
I'm glad Ross is back there. Claudia had to wake Mike up. I'm sorry, Mike. He was napping on me. Just kidding. So here, here's, um, here's, what, um, here's what I asked our staff to do. I said, sometime this week, when the Holy Spirit puts one of our people on your mind, stop what you're doing and send them a text or send them an email and just let them know God loves them and, we're, and we love you and we're thinking about you and praying for you. And they started texting me back going, this is pretty cool. Because it's interesting. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit, He will reveal some things to you you didn't even know. And He'll say, why don't you send old so-and-so a note? Have you ever done that? And you say, I don't know why I'm sending you a note, but the Holy Spirit put you on my heart. And they write back and they go, oh my God, there is God. God is real. Only God could know this is what I'm doing. I want to encourage y'all to do that this week. You say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know anybody that's having a problem. I don't know any struggle. He, he'll let you know, all right? We've got five minutes. Got any questions? Okay, good. See you next time. No, I'm just kidding. You have a burning, a question? We've actually got four minutes. Um, well, the sun shines on your face, sir. Isn't that sweet? Amen. Sunshine. Rejoice. Any questions, any comments about the, the attributes of God, the power of God, the awesomeness of God? It's funny because this week I would caught myself saying, man, that is awesome. That's good. That's, that's really good. But I can't say it's awesome because God is awesome. Yes, sir. Yes. You know, there's a whole chapter coming. I'll repeat his question. He's talking about in, in heaven, we'll have a, a glorified body, a spiritual body, like the body of Jesus had after he rose from the dead. I believe that's the kind of body I'm going to get immediately after death. Some people disagree with that. Some people say, no, 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 no. But I believe that. I believe you're right. He's saying, his point is, with a spiritual body, we'll be able to see spiritually. So going back to the what does God look like or how can we, how can we see God? Grudem has a whole chapter on this, y'all, about the resurrection of, of the body and what this, what this looks like, what heaven will look like. And I'm, I'm kind of jacked up about that because it says that the dead in Christ will rise first, but how can the dead in Christ rise first if they're already alive in heaven? I asked my New Testament Greek professor that in seminary. I'm like, um, what does that mean? He goes, he means, it means exactly what it says. That's how it's going to be. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> and thanks a lot. In other words, there's some things people don't know. I mean, we just don't know how all that's going to transform. I just know this. I'm just glad I'm going. You know? Any other questions? Any other comments? That's a good insight, brother. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. That's right. In his essence, in his being, in his perfections, in his nature, he, he does not change, but he acts. He acts, and I say, you know, it says sometimes, and God repented, or God changed his mind. He was going to do this, but now he did. Or God regretted that he actually made. And still, I don't see that as a contradiction. I don't see it as God in his essence and nature changing. I see that God responding to us, us pitiful ones. Because we're the ones that, I just tell God sometimes, just goes, oh, Marcia, bless them. You know, I created them, bless them. You know, and that's, that's us. Got one minute. Any other comments? Yes, sir, in the back there. I see that hand. God's justice and punishment on what? Oh, yeah. 
you know, there's a group of theologians today called, um, uh, oh, I forget their names, but they say you can't worship God because of his cosmic child abuse. Y'all heard that one yet? Who would want to worship a God that killed his, killed his son? And this is part of the mystery of God that's been revealed to us that God in his, man is so unholy, it took, it took God coming to redeem us. And God could only come and redeem us, and I know I'm in a couple of lectures ahead of you on Christology, is that he took upon himself fully God and fully man. And Jesus said from day one, I have come to die, basically. I have come to do the Father's will. So the only way I can understand and explain it is the justice of God and the love of God and the holiness of God would, because he loved us so much, and the only one who could be that, appease his wrath, is, is his own self, his son. And I know this, it's, it's mysterious, it, it's awesome, but I don't agree with the, oh, what do they call themselves? The emerging, the emerging church, I think it is? Yeah, the emergent church, theologians, they say, well, I can't worship a God that would kill, that would kill his son. But God just knows more than I do, and I just trust him. I trust that that is done out of his justice and out of his love for us. All right, can I pray for you? And then we'll go on our way. Amen. Why don't you all stand up before we with real quick? Stand up, stretch out. Some of you are like, oh, man. All right. Are you happy? Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad you know him? And he's going to go with you. Father, thank you today that you're so good. Lord, you're so amazing. Father, thank you for each person that is in this room. Thank you for each person, Lord, all across this this great country and some even around the world have been able to study with us today your nature, your, your attributes and how amazing God you really are Lord I pray today that our faith will have been increased by what we've heard today and that Lord we will keep our minds on you at all times and you will give us that perfect peace Lord I pray today two things number one that you would encourage that person who needed encouragement today is they just needed to know, God, you are still on the throne, you are still in control, and I can trust you. And number two, God, I want to ask you, if you would, I know most of the folks here today are our church members, I want to ask you that throughout the course of this day, you, the Holy Spirit, would whisper in their ear and say, you probably ought to reach out to her. You probably ought to send him a note. And Lord, they would be obedient and say, hey, I don't really know why I'm, I'm doing this, except I'm just praying for you today. God loves you. I love you. Great Hills loves you. And we're just thinking about you today. And Lord, would you do that for me again today so I would be, be able to touch some people's lives. Lord, bless us as we go. We love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.